Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering Season 1, Episode 5, titled Gladys. Uh, why do you think this one's called Gladys, Aaron? They're big, <laughs> they're big fans of Portal, clearly. Oh, okay, GLaDOS, sure. This episode was a triumph. I'm making a note here. <laughs> Huge success. Speaking of this episode being a triumph, what did you think of the episode as a whole? Man, it was a hell of a thing. Uh, I, I, I put on Facebook that what I love about this show is last week I was inspired to have this elaborate revenge snuff fantasy involving Lori and getting her <laughs> hand stuck in a metal grate and being, and being mauled by wild dogs. And yep. then instantly they made me feel queasy about thinking that with the extended stoning scene, it was uh, man, I feel like I'm saying this every week because television just gets more and more violent. That's that's one of the final mm-hmm. frontiers of reaction. They've mo- moved away from endangering babies, and now it's just <laughs> potatoes to the face. Uh, yeah, you still think they're throwing potatoes? Uh, well, <laughs> you never know, man. Those uh, those Idaho spuds. Yeah, they're stale, stale potatoes. Um, I, what did you think? I so it's interesting. Until the very end of this episode, I wasn't convinced that I really liked it all that much as an episode, but it mm-hmm. does, it did raise like a lot of questions mm-hmm. that I find intriguing. Right. Uh, but it didn't have any kind of emotional punch to it until like a couple of the scenes at the very end. Uh, certainly the, the Gladys stuff was hard to watch and it kind of made me sick to my stomach a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but, but it wasn't like thrilling or particularly emotionally devastating. Because uh, she's kind of a, a just a no name Princess Leia looking character at this point, certainly. And we get a little bit more about her backstory here. So up until the end, I was a little worried that I wasn't going to like it. It delivered some emotional punch at the end that I really enjoyed. So I turned, I kind of turned a corner on it near the end. All right, fair enough. Uh, this dr- episode is directed by Mimi Letter or Leader, maybe, uh, who is an extremely accomplished filmmaker. I, I mean, it's. Not often that I open up a person's profile and I'm just literally blown away, but she's got extensive cinematic and television history. She directed 1997's The Peacemaker, 1998's Deep Impact, 2000's Pay It Forward. She's been involved either as a producer or a writer or a director on L.A. Law, China Beach, The West Wing, ER, Shameless Luck. She's multiple, has multiple any nominations and multiple wins. Uh, she <laughs> knows what the fuck she's doing. And it was written by Damien Lindelof and Tom Perota, which, of course, is uh, the co-creators, Tom Perota, uh, writing the Leftovers novel. So we're in good hands in this episode, and I think you can tell. Uh, this is also uh, the is, last. Is there some subconscious stuff going on with you calling Damon Lindelof Damien Lindelof? <laughs> you think he's the devil here? Definitely. It's all, <laughs> it's all for you, Damien. Um, no, it's just me. Fuck. It's, it's my Aaron charm. Fucking up okay. names. It's, it's a, a hobby so. of mine. So I think let's talk the first thing. First things first. There's a theory that I was kind of on to some people. Um, a lot of people came to this simultaneously, which makes me think that's probably right. <coughs> Excuse me. Had a sneeze. Um, is that the murder of Gladys is actually mm-hmm. a murder-suicide perpetuated by the guilty remnant to further their ends. Have right, you heard of this right. theory, and do you subscribe to it? So – I have heard of this theory, and I think there there are some clues in the episode that might hint toward that. Okay. Um, 
I, I think there are possibly four groups, and maybe we can go through and talk about all of them one by one, that could be responsible for this. And the Guilty Remnant is certainly one that is interesting. If this is kind of like a martyr ploy for them to either get more new recruits or to set up some bigger thing that they're going to do later or just even keep their name out there in the forefront, remind people, like give a really sickening reminder that they are there. Mm -hmm. uh, It's effective. It's effective on all those fronts, right? Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel, Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find the copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast in the 1980s Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Yeah, so let's talk about the evidence. First, the episode starts with Patty and Gladys just doing an intense stare over. Yeah. Like just intense stare and Gladys just nods once. And Mm. then we see her go about her day. Uh, When she goes to the gas station, she conspicuously, once the, the woman leaves her, she goes way across the parking lot to the border of the light and darkness because it's at night. And you're familiar with the way the convenience stores kind of have these halos of light. She stood right at the edge of the darkness, put her back to it, and just waited. Um, She gets kidnapped. uh, She gets pelted with stones. None of her attackers say anything. Mm -hmm. I think that's another important piece of evidence. Uh, They also – there's maybe some foreshadowing in the town meeting where – by the way, we got our answer on the dog catcher. He is real. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely real. Um, unless this is some kind of dream hallucination level that I'm going to be just outraged up by. But he yep. mentions that, uh, you know, yeah, I was there with some of them. I wasn't there at the whole group, which could be a callback to the rope of dope they pulled on Kevin last episode, where okay. part of them were being, uh, you know, carted off and in jail as a smoke screen, while the other half were out perpetuating crimes against, uh, you know, petty crimes against the townspeople stealing their mementos. Um, the fact that Patty turns unusually cooperative with this whole thing. Sure. The fact that Patty has got this pointed conversation with Lori at the diner about how she was here with Gladys uh, the, the, a year ago and try, you know, cause she was having doubts about her son and that you can't have doubts because they burn you up like fire. The final scene <laughs> of Gladys being slid into the fire. Um, am I missing anything? No, I think those are kind of the key things. Um, the The conversation that she has at the diner and the fact that she once took Patty there, or, or I'm sorry, Gladys there, um, and that Gladys gives that nod. That nod at the beginning of the episode is really the thing that I am curious about. It seems to me that she is committing to something very serious there. 
Yes. Uh, that is not a nod that's just like, all right, I'm off to do my rounds for the week. Right. Which is that's there, yeah, that there was some significance to that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, is there anything we can draw conclusions from the and the manner of her death, a way that she she did break uh you know, guilty remnant silence at the end. Uh, sure. She didn't ask why, or it was just, please stop. Yeah, I mean, so if you think back to The Godfather, there's a moment where uh, uh, the the guy who betrays Michael uh, and has Sonny killed, I think, sure. um, played by Abe Vigoda, uh-huh. he, he finds out that the jig is up. He turns to... Uh, the the Irish son, I can't remember his name. Uh, Tom and, Hagen. And, yeah, and he kind of gives like this plea for his life. Is there anything I can do, like yeah. for old times' sake? Can you can get help me, me off out? the hook. Yeah, um, and then he kind of is just resigned. He gets in the car. Uh-huh. He goes with them. He knows what's about to happen to him. It makes me wonder, thinking about that scene and the way she nodded so seriously at the beginning, if she wasn't in on this, saying, "Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take one for the team here." Uh, that's how strong my faith is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the the other option, the flip side of that is maybe that diner scene with Patty uh, and Lori was to say that she at one point was that committed to it, but she no longer is, and Patty has found that out. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Gladys knows that she's done something wrong and she has to be punished for it. I I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's there's a lot of potential information there that they just don't explain well enough for us to totally get it. And that's the thing. I feel like the thing, the other thing is it's brilliant about this. It's just as likely that it's the town people snapping, forming a lynch mob and they're dressed all in black to oppose the guilty remnants all in white. And they're not speaking to mock them. It Mm -hmm. just seems like it'd be tough to get a mob of that many people together and none of them. I mean, I, I guess it, it's, it's a drama television show, but none of them say anything during all this. Like, you know, yeah. no slurs. No. I mean, you usually have to whip yourself up into a, a, a hatred to do something like this. Um, sure. If, if just, you look at the guy who was taking his trash out at the beginning when yeah. they were just standing there smoking and he says, fuck you guys and all this uh-huh. stuff. I mean, people who actually hate them are probably going to curse them out at that point. And we, they have good reason to, I mean, I'm not just because I say, I feel bad about Gladys getting stoned to death does not mean that I don't think they're reprehensible people because sure they are. They're just, they're wantingly destroying public property. They're fucking with people in a way that is going to bring something like this on. Um, and, and, and also, you know, they, there's old man falls and drops his groceries and they just walk right over him. Like he's not even there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying they deserve death, obviously. And I'm not saying a murder is right and that we should all vigilante up and rock people in the face. I'm just saying that you can understand. And like even Meg says, like, this is expected. This shouldn't shock anybody. Uh, it's interesting that it shocks Lori though. Um, uh, before yeah, I transition does. to that shot, I, I just want to say one more thing that because of the evidence we talked about, I'm really on board with the whole the guilty remnant. This is a frame job. This is some kind of false flag deal. I'm mm. not sure whether this was Gladys being the willing sacrificial lamb or like you said, this was Patty tired of her shit and and offing her in a way that would strengthen her movement. 
Yeah. The only evidence that it is a sacrificial lamb type of moment is her nodding and the fact that she, it's just weird. If she was just waiting for her friend to go in and get a bag of smokes, you'd think she just stayed right there in the light where people can see her being creepy because that's the whole purpose. You wouldn't (laughs) mosey off to the border. Um, And the other thing, oh, I forgot the most, one of the most important piece of evidence. Um, As soon as she's murdered and and goes missing, Patty gets everybody up. They go mm-hmm. to the gas station, and she instantly sets off in the direction that she was taken. Yeah, so I, I, what are I the don't odds know. Of I mean, that, that can happening. certainly be explained logistically. Like, okay, so the person she was with came back, reported, oh, she's been taken. They go to the gas station. Uh, they see, okay, where were you? Well, I was in the store. I was coming out. And then they see her notepad that she dropped and kind of infer a direction. But you would, you would infer that they, they drug you off to the woods and killed you rather than shoved you into a car? I mean, no. I just, the fact no. that she just picked that direction and went off, I thought was a clue that, you know, and her overall yeah. cooperation with police just felt like that it's, it's you know, a little little on the nose. But Okay. I, I could totally buy that. There's a couple other groups that might also be responsible for this. Okay. Uh, before we move on, Matt's quote-unquote study group. What do you think about that? Yeah, I was going to mention that when we got to Matt. They also uh, wear all black. And stoning is a very biblical punishment, right? That's he, really the only place I've ever heard of it. That was just when he was quoting the account of uh, Thomas and and uh, the fact that he's like, you know, if I told you, uh, if I told you what you needed to hear, what you want to hear, you would stone me, and then the stones would consume you with fire. Uh-huh. That is pretty damning. And also him saying that I don't want these people dead; I want them returned to life is entirely compatible. With a crazy religious man picking one member to kill to try to catalyze a change. And sure. also, another slightly smoking gun, a smoldering gun, if you will, is there roughly as many people, again, dressed all in black in Matt's study group standing outside the Guilty Remnant's house as yeah. there were in the, at the stoning. I don't know the exact number, but it's a similar a, a group similar in size. Okay. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's a little bit of uh, – like taking speculation a little too far but i feel like we have to mention it because it's there and Mm -hmm. there are pieces of evidence that could point to them Mm -hmm. uh the other thing is the i don't even know what to call these guys atfec atfec affleck Uh, i'm pretty i'm pretty sure (laughs) the agent is a goose in fact of some sort (laughs) okay uh so yeah apparently alcohol tobacco and firearms has got a couple more letters now yeah they've added explosive and cults to the mix hey yo after the disappearance, I guess, or the departure, I guess you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we we know that they actively hate them, right? I mean, we've seen, we saw the FBI guy say that Wayne's thing is a cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're adding the cult to the name of the ATF. Right. Uh, we know the cults are a huge problem. The phone call that Kevin gets, uh, where the, the agent is just saying, like, we can send a team of goons in wearing all black to just deal with the problem yes uh that's kind of a smoking gun as well for them hmm so this would be some sort of um cointel pro operation that they're they are deliberately trying to start shit with these cults as a way to remove the destabilizing influence from society Sure, to legitimately do it say these people are dangerous there's you know get them to react violently to it 
Yeah, and we've seen like when Kevin got up, there was something on CNN about the bureau cracking down on a group in Florida, and that's later mentioned about did you see the mess in Florida? Jesus. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: Are you familiar with the theory that says that <laughs> during that, that either that entire phone call was made up by Kevin or uh, portions of it? Uh, I'm not familiar with that theory, but it's certainly a thought that I was having at the time. I think they were. Okay, playing so, so with his mental state. Here's the evidence. Um, he he answers the phone call, and you know, obviously, he's struggling with the alarm. We see him look at the phone call, and it says it's Agent uh, Goose uh, from Affleck is calling. Yep. Um, and he fumbles with it, and the thing's still ringing. He puts it up to his ear. He's having this conversation. Everything starts to go sinister. The agent's voice changes. The music changes. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as he says, "Hey, we can just take care of these things for you, boss." Kevin puts down the phone from his face. As he says it, the phone clearly says the caller is now unknown phone number. Yeah, puts, I definitely saw that while I was watching it. Is that a con- continuity error or is that them telling us that maybe he missed that phone call from the agent to, and he completely made up this conversation in his head? See, this is where you get into lost territory, man, because now people are digging in saying everything means something, right? Yeah. Where this could be a prop error. This could be, you know, just a, a goof in editing. Sure. And, and I'm inclined to say that that's true. But I, I also, I mean, given the pedigree, I can't say that it's not meant to be taken as evidence for something. Well, here's, a tr- here's a, what I'm going to put forth as a true statement. This show has frequently put forth dilemmas for us as viewers as whether we can trust Kevin or not. And in every Absolutely. single every single instance... It's resolved that we can trust him. You know, there were bagels. The dog catcher is real. Uh, A deer did fuck up his kitchen because we saw evidence of that. (laughs) Uh, This they finally got back to that. It's it's been kind of put back together, but there's still a lot of stuff. You know, refrigerator and the cabinets and all that stuff is still fucked up. I can't think of a single situation where we were led to believe that he was imagining or seeing something and it didn't pan out. Even let, let me ask your opinion of the, the t-shirts uh, mm-hmm. or the, the, the white, the white shirts are the white shirts, his or did that guy just out of sheer terror of this drunk cop uh, give him somebody else's t-shirts to get rid of him? Man, that's such a good question. If we see him like swimming around in his t-shirt or his button down shirt, the next episode, I'll say, okay, the guy gave him the, someone else's shirts uh you're supposed to wonder i mean that's the whole thing right i mean (laughs) you 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 start to think is kevin crazy when he's missing his shirts and his daughter doesn't know where they are you can also wonder like with the mayor telling him that you need a win last episode yeah um just maybe this is just showing the disrespect that these people have for him as a chief of police who is a son of a, a crazy chief of police um they call him what is it chief mustard stain or something like that mustard stain yeah yeah so these people clearly don't respect him uh i wonder why and i wonder if that plays into it but i don't think we're meant to absolutely know there um one other minor detail heisenbrow (laughs) yes definitely definitely a a shout out to breaking bad right it's gotta be it's the schrader brow only with the heisenberg 
Uh, and they let him sit it on the roof of the car, and there was a light shining directly oh, yeah. on it. I I think it was meant to be seen, yeah. No, I think it was good. Uh, Andrew T. had a funny take. He said, those are not his sh- shirts. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, so so if these T-shirts are not his shirts, and I was looking for the logo, I was looking for the patches, and I thought I saw a patch, but at the, when I freeze-framed, I couldn't tell if it was a dry cleaner tag or if it was the patch. He certainly doesn't question them at all. Yeah. Um, but he's drunk at the time. He's he, very drunk. He's right? drunk, but I don't think he's that drunk either. Um, but but okay. I, I'm just saying that if, if the T-shirts are not his and his phone call is his imagination, it would be literally the first time that I can tell that the show has actually given us that dilemma that he might be crazy and then turns out he's not. Which I, I kind of feel like at this point, five episodes in, I might consider that cheating. Yeah, I, it, they're starting to establish a pattern where Kevin is not crazy. So I think, yeah, they they need to stick with that. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. 
Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, before we get off of the possible ATF EC doing all of this uh, Gladys stoning, mm-hmm. it, do, did you see the guy at the end in the gas mask and the hat and the discussion about him being the dog shooter? The guy, the guy who's burning bodies at their processing facility. No, I facility. did not. Okay, so the guy, there is a guy that in there who looks a lot like him. I, it's, I can't for sure say that it's not him. But he's wearing, eye, he's wearing protective goggles and a mask, right? Well, he's wearing a big gas mask and a hat. He's not wearing any goggles, so you can see his eyes. You can see his eyebrows, which don't really match dog shooters' eyebrows. He's well, got then like there you go. eyebrows. There you go. Yeah, if the brows don't fit. You you've got to find a new theory. Absolutely. Um. So th- there's that idea that maybe the dog shooter is infiltrating the city, trying to get the chief of police to start uh, not liking the GR a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, and get them to remove them from that town. And, and that would kind of jive with the phone call he got. Certainly, if that's not him just being crazy. So. I don't know. And people were like calculating distances between New York and Virginia. Could the dog shooter have driven that far? Like, I don't know. All the speculation. I'm now looking at these screenshots that I think you're referring to. And I do not do not think it looks like him. And in fact, there's someone says that the credits list different actors. So the the actor listed there uh, is actually black. So it's definitely not the same character that's listed. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, interesting. So people have said that. I, I don't know. Hmm. It's an interesting idea to consider. I, I, um, I don't know. I'm inclined to think that the dog catcher is who he says he is because um, it just they've already had so much mystery around him. Although it does, it would fit him. You know, Kevin says you don't even live here. Which if yeah. he, but he's that's how far is it to DC from from. Uh, Four hours. That's what I thought. So I guess it wouldn't, you know, maybe he is investigating. I, I, to me, I feel like that's a little bit more on the tinfoil side. Sure. Um, for now. I'm not saying it's not true. It's just one of those mm-hmm. things where I, I don't know that I, I quite like it. Okay. I think we have covered all the possible culprits in this case. Yes. Okay, good. Um, let me ask you about the symbolism of fire. We've okay. seen Matt. Uh, we, we, we've seen... Uh, Kevin wake up from a sleep uh, dreaming about being on fire. We've seen Matt dreaming about being on fire um, and fire being a big part of his past. Uh, we saw Gladys consume the fire at the government facility at the end of the episode. We saw Jill playing the flame game, trying to see how far she could keep, keep, stick her hand in there without getting burnt. What's mm-hmm. up with all the fire symbolism, Jim? Is this building somewhere? Are we are, are, the, are these things we're supposed to be paying attention to? Is this just thematic wallpaper? What's going on? Uh, I feel like there's definitely some thematic wallpaper going on here, but it it feels bigger than that, given the conversation that Patty and Lori have in the diner. Uh, that I mean, she says uh, that fire is doubt and that it will consume you, turn you to ash. Uh, and then, I mean, how can you not look at the final scene where Gladys is burning up and and just imagine the possibilities, right? I mean, so with Kevin, I mean, he's doubting his sanity this entire few episode run that could be his doubt and when his feet catch on fire uh that's kind of right around the time when he is like severely doubting himself are mm-hmm. these bagels real he he goes so far as to check the sure. Oven. <laughs> sure uh so so that's consuming him 
uh, and maybe he makes it out through the other side. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Is That's kind of why I go to Gladys maybe being punished because this doubt consumed her. In mm. the end, I mean, she she burnt up, right? No, it's a literal fulfillment of what Patty said would yeah. happen to people to doubt, which so, that's pretty that's that's pretty strong theming that that seems legit. Yeah, so I I don't know if that's what they were trying to tell us, but that's what I got out of it. Um, as as far as Matt, do you is there something in his past that he feels very guilty about, and then he's having doubts uh, that are shaking his faith about? Well, holy shit! I don't, I don't know that he feels guilty about anything, but his past is loaded with things that should cause him to doubt. <laughs> I mean, he's literally Job. Sure. In fact, I'll go so far as to say I think Job's kind of a, in the Bible's kind of a uh, a dumbass. Like, there's literally all these things happen to him that are freaky supernatural things, and one could conclude that uh, God just doesn't care anymore. And it, it just so happens that at the end, God came out of a tornado at the very end and said, "Nope." LOL, just kidding. Here's five times your original <laughs> amount of kids and flocks and riches. Everything's cool now, right? But um, <laughs> Job could be forgetting, for, could be forgiven by, by saying, you know what? Fuck off. I will choose death over this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting if Matt chose death over uh, with a greater purpose of bringing these people, as he said, back to life. Because he's like, you know, these people are dead already in, in his mind. And that's what the um, – uh, yeah. that's kind of what the FBI – or the, the the Aflac guy said too. He said, you know, these people don't give a shit about being dead or if they're dead. Um, I think it's, it's interesting that if he's fighting um, on the surface a very passive aggressive – plus it's like the way he rolled in and wanted to pray over her. Mm-hmm. And immediately had the alibi of a study group. It, <laughs> I, I don't know. Would well, you? It kind I of. I think all these groups are being set up to be suspect. Yeah, I, I honestly though I don't like Matt being involved because I like the purity of his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's going to snap and go crazy and kill these people, I kind of, I you know I don't really am a fan of that either. But I would rather just kind of be on the surface. Um, yeah, you know, a, a kind of straight up revenge type of thing rather than him kind of going or, and being dishonest and lying and doing all these other secondary sins to, to get his way. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what let's talk about Jill and Kevin's relationship. A little barometer there. I feel like that there was a definite thaw here. Oh, no, that's the scene that I'm talking about at the very end. I mean, that's got my throat a little lumpy, you know, I mean, that's oh, a oh, really oh. good scene. Right. But I mean, that was it was it. I, it didn't feel like it came out of nowhere. It felt like it was almost a three-act yeah. play unto itself. It's like, here's Jill and Kevin at the beginning. Uh, you know, Kevin's trying to get her to do the alarm, and she's not taking him seriously. This thing happened to the guilty remnant. She has this catharsis situation with her mom, which mm-hmm. she kind of feels bad about because that's the weird fucked-up relationship you have when one of your parents disowns you. It's like, you know, when you catch yourself caring about him, it's like, fuck. Uh yeah. Then he comes clean about the divorce, and we see her throughout the episode. You know, he has this conversation with Amy about how I can't win, and she's like, "Yeah, no, you, and you shouldn't yeah. even try." So that, that to me is key. Amy has always kind of been a barometer of the relationship between Jill and her father, in right. my opinion. And so that signals some kind of turnaround that Kevin's got some insight, and now he's a little bit more kind of zen and trying to be open. I do. There's several times during the episode where I was like, "Jesus Christ, hug this girl." <laughs> yeah you know um one of you should hug the other and since you're the dad and 
the reason she might be emotionally and physically closed off is because of you. Maybe you need to be the one that takes the first step. But my God, sure, it, it was rough seeing him break down in the bedroom all alone when they really have each other and they should be leaning on each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but it, it is definitely a step in the right direction. And I think that that conversation with Amy is key where she says you, you can't win or he says, I, I can't win. She says, now you're getting it. Now you understand. Cause he's trying to play her game of just kind of being a shit, right? Uh, not talking, not trying to understand the other person's perspective, just being isolated from everyone else. That's not going to work here. Right. I mean, it goes back to the bedroom scene I was talking about last episode where, you know, he should have told her about the divorce, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to roll his eyes and slam the door. Now he understands. I can't win by doing that. I can't play her game and win. I've got to open up to her. Okay, a couple other random things. Um, I actually still let's talk about Lori. Were you surprised that she kind of fell apart? I mean, she 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 seems to be someone that wants to reach for the top rungs of the organization, um, but she also seems fairly soft. She's still got this attachment to her family. Uh, in a lot of ways, she seems kind of less committed than Meg. Were you surprised that she had this breakdown over the death of Gladys? Um, given the theme of fire, I, I, I think the ending of this episode makes a lot of sense. Uh, she has been tested with this doubt, this fire, and she has made it through the other side. No problem. She's out there blowing the whistle. Um, as far as her like breaking down about Gladys, I think it's just a sad thing when someone in in your community, your group, whatever, is killed, right? <laughs> I mean, that's going to have an effect on anyone. Yeah, and I thought it felt like it was triggered by – as she's absorbing this and then she sees Meg taking this hardline stance. It's like, yeah, I'm going to start smoking up. And uh, Meg also was just a fucking dick to to Kevin. Um but like almost like, oh, my God, this is what's happening to me, and I'm instrumental in bringing other people into this, and what kind of culpability do I have? And I think a, par- a, a good part of the panic attack was how much blood is going to be on her hands. And I don't know if mm. I'm crazy to think that, but I just feel like the way they shot it with her focusing on Meg starting to light up, which I kind of took it might be the, for, for the first time. Okay, yeah. And – um, then her extreme reaction to the end where she got the rape whistle and she blew it right in Matt's face. Um, what led up to that was when she got home and Meg had turned all white and now she's not speaking anymore. She seemed like she was kind of swimming. And then when Matt did this funeral service, the way they shot it, I was 50, 50, whether she's going to go out there and punch him in the face, whether she's going to throw her arms around them, whether yep. she was going to scream. I had no fucking clue. And then the whistle just and and Matt's reaction blew me away. Um, mm. Super powerful. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's something the show does really well, right? They walk that tightrope until the point, maybe that episode. I mean, they showed us immediately what her intention was, but then other stuff like Kevin being crazy, they walk the tightrope for a few episodes before they unleash it. All right, so let's talk about Lori and Patty at the Waffle House or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Uh, they're taking a break from the cult. Lori does not accept it because do you think she what why do you think that she doesn't crack here? I really don't know because at that point I didn't realize it was a test. Um I thought they were on some special mission where they had to blend in to the crowd uh, in order for it to be successful. Was it a test? Like if she had I, spoke. Yeah. 
I think ultimately it was the the conversation that they have about Patty or uh, sorry about Gladys made me feel like this was Lori's moment of being completely tested to make sure she wasn't going to go back to her family. But and, Gladys maintained silence. And if we're thinking that she was sacrificed or because maybe that she was her commitment wasn't as strong, that doesn't necessarily mean that Lori just passed this test. Sure, I think there are probably other tests. I don't think that's the only test. And also, it seems like Patty herself is wildly unstable. Uh, yeah, Neil? Uh, and can I draw your attention to this one particular dialogue? At the end, she grabs her hand, and she gives this passionate speech about the doubt is fire and all that stuff, and she kisses her hand, and she goes, you remember what you told me in our last session before everything changed? Mm-hmm. Then she kind of like makes a whimpering sound straight out of fucking True Detective um, and <laughs> draws Neil in the doggy bag. Did they have some kind of therapist-patient relationship before the change, before the departure? Hmm. Interesting. You remember what you told me to do in the last session before everything changed? Yeah, I hadn't even considered that that might be even before the departure itself. And could it be that was Patty the therapist? Um, and because because we also know that Lori considers herself fucked up and mm-hmm. has has got a lot of fucked up things about her. I just thought that was super interesting, hinting to a relationship pre departure. And almost again, when you say our last session, that yeah. implies some sort of uh, therapist type of relation, which would also underscore why Kevin seems like he's got a special animosity for her. Like maybe he blames her for exploiting a relationship or hmm. driving a wedge between him and his wife. I, I don't I don't really know. I just I just wanted to see what you thought of that. Sure. I, I certainly think that's interesting. I mean, however that relationship uh were to play out, I mean, Patty could be a therapist, Lori could be the therapist. I mean it's could go either way there. Um She does I, I she shits in this really bag. She shits in this bag. Absolutely and she leaves she it on does. presumably Neil's porch. Doesn't uh-huh. does not set, light it. Does not set on set it on fire, which is poor form. I know she got a cigarette lighter. <laughs> what the fuck? Who is Neil? That's my big question. Uh it feels to me like Neil is uh, a relative who she loved dearly, possibly a son, possibly what would now be an ex husband. Uh that that's what I got from it. What if um, it's a, it, something because I'm going darker, I'm going more sinister. Okay. I'm going that that's Gladys's uh, husband or nearest living kin, and in the bag is a piece of Gladys. No, it's just a piece of shit. That that <laughs> this is just her fucking with the survivors and like or hammering home this no family thing. Oh man, if it's just her ex, I feel like that's a little anticlimactic with everything else we got going on here. You know? Yeah, and it feels like that just feels wrong in this episode. If that were her moment where she's questioning, okay, Lori, are you completely committed to this? You've just passed this test. Now I'm going to go do something that says that I'm not completely committed. Man. Or is this her one day where she's allowed to do that because she's talking, she's testing Lori. Okay. Go with me on this. Okay. What if this is some kind of cry for help from Patty that Patty did kill Gladys and this is somehow preparing Lori for sacrificing Patty in the future. Oh, boy. Like, I can't do this anymore. I have to take breaks. I have to talk. This is wearing me down. And, you know, 
uh, just kind of preparing her. And we've got what, what five, seven episodes to go, or you uh-huh. know, whoever knows so- how many seasons. I just wonder if there isn't some sort of grooming for command that either and, and maybe it's not going to be maybe patty is going to sacrifice herself next because she can't do this i i just yeah, feel like so it's some it's sort just of like taking the ritual place. that they have when the guilty remnant muckety mucks go out like i'm done with this i've done my work here it's time for you to take the mantle and i'm just going to kill myself because none of this matters and that's the whole point or it's a dread pirate roberts relationship where she's going to be made uh, uh the grand poobah and then um Patty goes to another location, to another town, and starts another cell. Or maybe it's the opposite, okay. where Patty stays as the Din Mother, and Lori graduates to be grand, guilty reverend motherhood status, uh, guilty remnant, <laughs> remnant uh, motherhood status, and she goes to a new, new town and founds another chapter. Sure. I, I think the one thing we can say conclusively is that there is some ritualistic element to it, potentially hinging on doubt. In in the guilty remnant's mind, yeah. And again, I would don't know if she passed or failed, except for I feel like that the whistle thing at the end was a clear. Patty seemed very very happy and satisfied with that. Yes, that she development. did. Yep. The whole you brought a new recruit in, and now you're blowing the rape whistle right in Doctor Who's face. You you done good. Yeah, that's my girl. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, the very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp, starting April 3rd. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. 
help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Um, let me. There, one other thing. Do we do we think the mayor is on Kevin's side? I don't know, man. She acts so weird with him. She's she's telling him like you need to go get this baby Jesus thing figured out, even though it's way below your pay grade. Uh, it, and in this town council meeting, she just dumps him out on the stage there and gives kind of like a little. Hmm, all right, go for it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So a, a I, show I feel of like support. she's certainly not helping him actively. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, anything else we want to talk about this episode? Because we've got uh, uh, a decent amount of feedback to work through. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, just random other small things that I noticed. But uh, there was a question about, you know, I think last episode we said that Nora and Kevin were going to hook up. And oh, you were yes. like, oh, yeah, cold open, baby. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm starting. I'm, I'm, I'm still I, the, 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 the under two and a half episodes is still in play. Yes. Why? And if you're at Vegas, uh, go ahead and put promising. odds on that for me. Okay, looking promising because, yeah, definitely this is heating up. Yeah. Uh, a lot more flirting in this episode at the dry cleaner. Uh, yeah, I want to make a Monica Lewinsky joke there, but it's just I, I, I don't have it. It's 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 a needle of time to bake. Uh, <laughs> okay. Maybe a time machine to take me back 10 years. So it's still relevant, irrelevant, relevant, relevant. Jesus. Longer than that. My God, I'm old. Um, what else? Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, what was Kevin's reaction to Amy walking around in her her underwear offering to make him coffee? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so weird. Um, it's kind of been his reaction all along. Like, what are you doing, girl? You know that this is not something that can happen. Yeah, but so she stopped doing it. But he's also not sure if that's actually what she's doing, right? I don't know because I'm pretty sure that's what she's doing. I'm pretty sure so she is hitting on the hot older dad of her best friend who's a cop. And clearly she has no father figure or what. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons going on to her hitting on him. Uh, sure. He surely he clearly should not take advantage of that situation. And he uh, knows it. And you can see that in his face. I, I just wonder if he's completely sure that that's what she's doing or if it seems like, you know, these situations are incidental and it could be a little more innocent than he thinks. And that's going through his head as well. I, I just don't want to see Kevin jump in bed with Amy. No, no. That just, nah, you know, it, it's stoning people in the face is one thing. <laughs> Fucking minors. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole other level of ick. Um, if, if we named our podcast uh, episodes for uh-huh. these shows, I would call this Mrs. Potato Head. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, probably uh, a little glib. Indeed, indeed. Um, uh, anything else you want to talk about? No, no, I think I'm good. All right, cool. Well, uh, if you like to, if you like what we're doing here in Bald Move, if you like our leftovers podcast and all the other content you can get at baldmove.com, uh, all of our television podcasts, personal arrogance, uh, the Cause Show, Up Yours Downstairs, you can consider supporting us by going to our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com. It's super simple. You use that instead of the regular Amazon link, and for that session, anything you buy, uh, we get a tiny cutoff of, and it doesn't cost you anything, so why wouldn't you do it? 
Uh, if you'd like to directly support us, you can go to supplable.com slash bald move where you can exchange monetary support for fun and interesting bald move memorabilia and custom content opportunities. Uh, you can do that again at supplable.com slash bald move to see that pitch. And last but not least, if you can't do that, no big deal. We understand. Uh, could you please tell a friend or family about bald move or rate or review us on iTunes? Because that would help out a lot. Doesn't take a lot of time. And we appreciate all the support we get from all of our listeners. So thank you. Let's talk about some feedback. If you want to add to our feedback pile, uh, two ways to do it. Do uh, leftovers at baldmove.com. Send an email there. Or if you want a quick take, you can join on our show threads or our podcast threads on facebook.com slash baldmove. KCW had an email from last week about Lori's character, which is kind of timely with this episode. It says, uh, I find myself sympathizing with her where you all just hate her. Don't get me wrong. I think her actions are deplorable, but they're deplorable in the context of the world in which we live now, not in her world or from her viewpoint. I also sympathize her from my Christian perspective. So much of my take on Lori's character, I think, comes from there and not from anything the show has given us. I think in Lori's world, she sees the departure as the rapture and the GR's goal is to get themselves and the rest of the world right with God before the second coming. So they act as living reminders that they value nothing about the world, not material goods, health, their families, nothing. In my opinion, I think this is a common misconception about the GR. They're not nihilists. They're nihilists in reaction to a higher power. This is a very fine but key distinction. Lori has given up absolutely everything and acts despicable in the face of her beliefs. I admit that this is all sympathetic conjecture because the show so far is falling short the same way the books did. One of the biggest complaints among many about the book is that it gave no context at all for understanding Lori's motives. But the show is already adding depth to what is already a pretty shallow story in the book, so I hope they can get us there. What's your reaction to so, the sympathetic take on Laurie? I, I do understand where he's coming from, and I think a lot of uh, my hate is potentially coming from the same sources uh, in my psyche, right? I mean, I do have this history with the cult. I do understand how it changes people and how it causes them to do things that I find particularly personally deplorable mm-hmm. uh so I, I see where he's coming from totally yeah and, and you know it's like i that's the same thing i was thinking when i was reading uh her email that you know oh, this her casey is a her i do believe so I'm, i I don't know why i think that maybe because there is a google plus image uh in the top corner because <laughs> it is a, <laughs> oh, it's a okay. unisex name um i don't have it at my show notes obviously well, but i apologize he or she, calling her a him uh that's the yeah i mean because i've had that argument thrown to me as justification for why my family shunning excommunication excommunicating me is an act of love yeah because they're wanting to apply social pressure to bring me back in the fold so thus i can be spared the fires and destruction of armageddon you can i i hope it's not too hard to understand why i find that argument not compelling um but i'm not saying that uh, feeling empathy for Lori and, and getting her characters because I think you're right on. I I think that's a valid way to interpret the character. It's just one of, that's that's in, I don't see that as humanizing her. I see that as one more log for the fire. But that is based on your own personal bias, just Indeed. as KC's viewpoint is based on his or hers. Indeed. So uh, I I get it. <laughs> RJ D said. Um, Seemed to me his opinion about the mayor kind of tracks our own. It seemed to me that the mayor had no other motives other than uh, safety. Kevin shows up to a hostile crowd, then the mayor throws him right into the lion's den unprepared. Or sorry, the mayor did have other motives other than safety. She then proceeded to do a live council vote in front of the crowd with a unanimous vote 
out of uh, against Kevin's idea for the um, what do you call that curfew? The curfew, yeah. She didn't look pleased though. She looked kind of annoyed that it didn't pass. Mm, this mayor is either a wicked bitch or playing some other game than the rest of the town. And of course, Kevin. Uh, yeah, that could just be her being a politician because she already knows from last episode that you throw Kevin out in front of a crowd unprepared. You're not going to get mm-hmm. gold. Okay. Sure. And then she allows this situation with the townsfolk to start spinning out of control and then immediately draws for a, a vote. You know, I don't know. It just it felt to me like it was theater and she also there's that weird relationship he has with her dad, with his dad, rather. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I, I'm maybe she's trying to get him out of this job for his own good, out of some motive hmm. involving his dad. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I agree. I think that there's something more going on there. Uh, I'm going to give Phil Z credit on Facebook for being the first to promote uh, from our side of things the guilty remnant uh, and Patty being behind the stoning Gladys. Um, Michael B. Uh, we need a little bit of levity here. Said Gladys already smokes when she heard people were getting stoned in the woods. She just got confused and the wrong idea. <laughs> uh, going to awesome. special hell there, Michael B. But you made me laugh. Tommy A. said, my thoughts on the guilty remnant. I thought it would I would regret or take back or feel differently about the guilty remnant this week, especially after watching this episode and that gruesome death. But nope. Fuck them. Fuck their attitude. Fuck their cigarettes. And definitely fuck their whistles. I had goosebumps throughout the beginning of the Matt scene outside the Guilty Remnant's house. I legitimately thought Lori and maybe a few of the others would go outside and join him. Nope. Motherfucking whistle right in the face. My God. I swear I'm not saying that she deserved to die. Bear with me now, he says parenthetically. But she fucking stepped around an old man who had fallen and was in desperate need of help. Motherfuck. Fuck. Damn, I feel like McNulty and Bunk. Uh, that's all he's got. And But he says, great episode, though. And... It's it, this is funny because I sometimes feel like I'm in like a counselor situation here where people are like, "Is it okay for me to feel this way? Is yeah, it okay yeah. for me to still root for Walter White? Is it okay for me?" To, yes, it's there is no reaction uh, except probably indifference that uh, Damon and uh, Lindelof would have would, would would be irritated, and I don't think there's any right or wrong way to react to this because everything you say mm-hmm. is true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's your opinion, man. Mm. It's valid, right? Just like I can have empathy for Gladys while still thinking her beliefs are disgusting and deplorable, you can still have hatred for her uh, for same. It's there's there's it's a fictional character. Um, it'd be interesting exercise if this happened in real life, but we wouldn't be having a podcast on it and be making jokes about her getting stoned and potatoes and all that. So it's like, <laughs> it, you yeah. Know, um, it's not real life, it, so there's no real right or wrong answer there. Sure. I mean, even if it was real life, this is a very subjective thing. It's There are no facts that you can point to and say she's objectively uh, right in this scenario for doing what she's doing sure. or vice versa. Sure. Uh, Smycell55 says, it's nice to see the mayor on the chief's side and not causing more drama in this confusing show. I'm not sure if they're being ironic with that observation or not. 
Uh, but they continue, I'm still super pissed about the guilty remnant breaking through all these people's houses. No one is home or can wake up during the break-in. Did the guilty remnant know the residents wouldn't be in their house besides children and grandparents? Does no one in this world have neighbors? I would hate to live in that town. People break into your homes and take pictures of loved ones. People are in a street with a microphone and speakers saying prayers in the dead of night. I would assume the guilty remnant has neighbors that do speak and would be pissed if some priest started Hail Mary at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and what the fuck was the point of sending the body to the FBI if it's just going to, if they're just going to cremate them? Um, yeah, they, I don't know that the guilty remnant actually have neighbors. They made a point of saying that they're buying up like a lot of real estate in this. They town. said they own the entire cul-de-sac. Uh huh. I kind of sympathize. Like I might have been if that was in Aaron's neighborhood, and even if I was seven doors down, I might have opened the door, my window, and been like, "Shut the fuck up." Yeah, but you know, you know, especially this is. I don't know. I don't know. It it is is it is interesting. I speculate that one of the things that the guilty remnant do when they're on their rounds are performing missions. It's not just all about creeping people out and doing this. They're actually mm-hmm. doing things with a goal. And one of the things they could do while they're standing outside of people's houses being creepy is observe their comings and goings and know which house is absolutely going to be safe to break into, which ones, you know, get their they're they're mm-hmm. casing the neighborhood at large while they're doing this other cult stuff. So to, yeah. that's kind of my headcanon uh, explanation for how they're getting up to all this shit. I like it. All right, that's it for this week. If you'd like to send us more, again, send it to leftovers at baldmove.com or jump on facebook.com slash baldmove and find our show slash podcast threads. Until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.